0: On May 25th, 1973, a Saturn 1B rocket launched from Kennedy Space Center to take the first crew up to Skylab. Fifty years later, we're going to spend some time talking about it.
1: And to do that, we're joined by author David Hitt. Who wrote what I like to call the Bible of Skylab, a fantastic book called Homestead in
0: Space. Do you have any memories of Skylab? Let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram or Facebook or
1: via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us at patreon.com forward slash space and things. But right now, enjoy episode 143 of the Space and Things podcast. Oh my God. Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney and I'm Dave Giles and welcome to episode 143 of the Space and Things Podcast. I'm on holiday for a few weeks so this is a pre-recorded show that We made a couple of weeks back, so there won't be any What Caught Our Eye in Space This Week section, but I'm sure we've got a good enough podcast lined up for you without that. Absolutely, and you know why? Hmm, let me think. Is it a six-letter word (laughs) that begins with S and ends in lab?
0: Yes! Yes, it is. (laughs) Fifty years ago, that's unbelievable. Fifty years ago, on May 25th, the first crew launched to go and visit Skylab, Not only were they going to be the first to arrive, but they were the ones who had to try and fix it after the problems with the launch, which we discussed on the episode two weeks ago.
1: So to tell us more about this mission, we're joined today by David Hitt, author of Homestead in Space, a book which we really do think is a definitive guide to Skylab. We previously had David on our podcast way back on episode 33 to talk about the first launch of the space shuttle. That seems like yesterday. But anyway, you can hear more about and from David on that episode. Skylab 2
0: was a 28-day mission, and the crew consisted of Commander Pete Conrad, who had been to space three times before this on Gemini 5, 11, and Apollo 12. He was joined by Dr. Joseph Kerwin, who we interviewed on this podcast on episode 100. Please check that out if you haven't already. And Paul White, who was in, I believe, astronaut group uh, 5 1966 astronaut class. So, anyway, let's speak to David to find out more about this mission and his book. All right, Houston, Skylab 2. We fix anything. we got a pitch-and-a-roll program. All right. So, David, welcome back to Space and Things. Uh, we've really been looking forward to this since our last interview. This time, we're talking Skylab, of course. Uh, your excellent book, Homesteading Space, is the ultimate guide to Skylab. So, how did it come about, and how was the writing process?
2: Oh, goodness! Well, first, thank you so much for having me. And yes, this this month has been a, a long-awaited month. It's it's exciting um, to see the excitement for, for Skylab in the uh, in the community these days. So, homesteading space came about, um, and this makes me feel old because for the thirtieth anniversary of Skylab, at the time, I was. Working as a contractor for a NASA education website, writing stories for teachers and students about NASA topics, we had to go out, beat around, find our own stories to write. And so, looking at the calendar, I happen to notice, "Hey, there's this, uh, you know, this 30th anniversary of this thing called Skylab. Um, maybe I could write a story about that." You know, no, no sense that this is going to be anything big. This was just, "Hey, this will, you know, this will fill my uh, my story quota for a week." So I'm working on doing some research, and in the process of doing some research, I discover there is a Skylab astronaut that lives here in Huntsville. I wonder, you know, if he'd talk to me. I I send an email to uh, to Owen Garriott, say, um, you know, hey, can I – and I'm thinking just a quick phone call or something, get a quote. Owen says, yeah, come on over. I'd love to talk to you. (laughs) What? Yeah, I'm I'm (laughs) – I'm going to go over to this astronaut's house. This is kind of cool. <laughs> so, uh, so the story, you know, it, it, it elevates a little bit. And then doing some more research, I noticed there is a second astronaut that lives in Huntsville in Madison County. Don't notice immediately that it's not AL, Alabama, where I am. It's AR, Arkansas. This is uh, Jerry Carr, lives in, has, has a Huntsville address, wrong Huntsville. But I don't notice that till I've already contacted him. So now I've talked to somebody from the, uh, the second crew and the third crew, uh, or the first crew, the, the uh, second crew and third crew. Clearly, I need somebody from the first crew to round it out. So I cold call poor Joe Kerwin at work, and, wow. <laughs> and he talks to me. And, uh, and so by now, it's turned from this one little story to this big three-part series. Like, my coworkers are making fun of me about this, uh, this Skylab behemoth that, uh, that I'm working on but in the process of doing the the research like i said this was the uh, the 30th anniversary this was 20 years ago at the time there's a whole lot about apollo right i mean you know the moon landings people get a little bit excited about that at the time shuttle is the uh, the current program so there's a whole lot out there about shuttle there there's just not a whole lot about this little space station that we did in between them and Working on the story, I you know somebody needs to do something about that. Like somebody should write a book about Skylab. And I'm not thinking me because that's the sort of thing that like real writers do, the professional writers do. And so, a few months pass, and um, we have a big 30th anniversary event here in Huntsville. The eight astronauts um, come to town. It's a big deal. Um, Having a great time, you know, talking to Owen and and again and uh, meeting, getting to meet Joe and Jerry in person for the first time. And it's still in the back of my head. This story needs to be told. Again, not me. This is uh, you know, this is a, something somebody, somebody, you know, a professional writer needs to do. <laughs> so fast forward, then another three months or so, I'm out in, uh, in, in Houston, Johnson Space Center on business. I go to Space Center Houston and walk through the, uh, the Skylab display there, I, I believe, for the first time. There are three places on Earth now that you can walk through a Skylab, um, National Air and Space in D.C., Space and Rocket Center here in Huntsville, Space Center Houston. And while I love them all three, of course, Space Center Houston is just it's just that next little step up. Theirs is really amazing. And I'm there in that room with the Skylab. And again, this story needs to be told. And I'm, and I'm having the conversation again with myself of why that that doesn't – it's not supposed to be me. That's uh, you know, something a professional writer needs to do. And I have the realization like literally every dime I make is from writing. That's kind of the definition of professional, professional writer. Yeah. <laughs> so I come up with a plan. Here's how I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to come home. I'm going to send an email to Owen Garriott. And, uh, and at the time, the pitch was going to be that he should write his memoirs, which would include Skylab, include STS-9, include his story, uh, but would tell that Skylab story. Send an email to Owen saying, hey, let me, let me, let me buy you lunch. I have an idea that I want to discuss with you about possibly writing a book. Now, obviously, he's going to say no. I mean, clearly. Yeah. But I'm going to be able to go home that day. And say, "Hey, Dad, guess who I had lunch with?" And this is a story that twenty years later I'm going to be telling about the time that I had lunch with a Skylab astronaut. How cool is that? So, uh, so we meet at the Lone Star Steakhouse here in Huntsville, and and I give the pitch to Owen, and he says, "Well, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book. Let's do it." Amazing. Oh, huh? Okay, I had not I had not gotten this far, so I start, you know. Uh, beginning to try to figure out the process of, okay, so how do you write a book with an astronaut? Like, how do you, how do you write a book with an astronaut get it published, contact a friend in the publishing industry? You know, like, what, what do I do from here? And as I'm doing that, Owen's been working, helping a guy out with a, uh, with another book. There's a guy that's writing a book about scientist astronauts that's been interviewing Owen. He sends a note to that guy who, by the way, is Colin Burgess, the editor of the Outward Odyssey series. We don't know that yet because the Outward Odyssey series does not exist at this time. Yeah. Um, he says, hey, look, I'm the editor for this series. We're going to do eight eight books at the time. He says, we're going to do eight books. We're going to do one about Skylab. The author of that we had lined up for the Skylab book just dropped out. We need somebody to write a Skylab book. If you will write a proposal, we will help you write the proposal. And then we will judge the other uh, proposal that we help you write, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and see whether we want you in this series. And to our credit, we wrote the proposal all by ourselves. We figured if we couldn't write a proposal, we probably shouldn't we should be writing a, a book. book. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did the pitch by ourselves, and uh, and so that's how uh, that's how homesteading space comes to uh, to be a thing.
1: What a story! I loved that. I absolutely loved that. We're almost writing it by accident. <laughs> Almost very much. Yeah. That 30th anniversary event where, where the eight of them were at Huntsville. I mean, that must've been quite the event.
2: It was, it was, um, you know, and that's, that's, you know, very aware of the, uh, of the passage of time. I mean, it's funny now looking back because I started working as a contractor at Marshall in, in 2002, the next year was the Skylab 30th. All of this was new to me. Oh, at the time, the the eight that were still around came to uh, to Huntsville. In retrospect, Pete's passing was was so fresh, but kind of because it was before it was on my radar. In my mind, this is the distant past, you know. And in, in reality, it was it was what you know four years earlier or something. But yeah, so the 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 eight were still there. George Miller came to town. Um, I got to be. In the control room at, uh, at at Marshall, while they let oh, who was it? Uh, I think Al Bean and and Jerry Carr, if I believe, talked to the International Space Station. I'm, oh, wow. you know, I'm they're in the room as as they're talking to uh, to ISS. Multiple panels, both at Marshall, at, at University of Alabama in Huntsville here at the Space and Rocket Center. I don't know that we did a whole lot here for the uh, for the 35th. For the fortieth, everybody comes back again and again. You know, for the fortieth, it's still it's it's all eight of them. Wow. You know, at that point, I've I've written the book, so I'm, I'm like this weird hanger on for the family. Um, the <laughs> night before the event at the Space and Rocket Center, the eight of uh, the eight of them and me have dinner at the, no uh, at the Hilton Hotel. Um, and it's like, I, oh, thank you. Like I'm not, gonna, I don't deserve to be in this room, but I'm also not going to point that out. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I will happily be at this table. And so, you know, another 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 big event. 5 years later there was nothing planned and it was just sort of this neat anomaly of timing that uh that that Dwight had just released the movie Searching for SkyLab. Um he was looking for a place to have a uh, a movie debut ends up getting hooked up with the uh, with the Space and Rocket Center. So Searching for SkyLab premieres in Huntsville. On the forty-fifth anniversary of the third Screw splashdown, so it becomes this—you know—this accidental forty-fifth anniversary event. And you know, I mean, at that point, goodness, I'd I'd have to—you know—I'd have to do the math because we had—I know Jack and Ed were there in person. Owen was was virtual. I think Jerry was virtual. Joe was the only one who was who was still living that wasn't there in person or virtual. And I and I hate that he had to miss that one because. Now we're doing the fiftieth anniversary events and, and we have Joe and, and Jack and Ed and you know it's kind of heartbreaking. Just, you know, no difference between the thirtieth and fortieth. Big yeah. difference between the uh the fortieth and fiftieth. But, you know, glad that uh that for the half century mark we do have folks that can still tell the story.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Today we want to focus on that first crewed mission, Skylab two. As I think it's called, there is some debate over that. But Skylab two, what were the goals of this mission? So,
2: so, so first, it's funny that you say that because uh, you know I am I am really proud. I I do feel like homesteading space has has kind of affected the way that Skylab is remembered. It it does, has kind of I feel like laid the groundwork for a new appreciation of the program. And so there's a lot of things, the decisions that we made in, in writing the book, this is how we're going to tell the story that have kind of had a lasting impact. That's the one that bugs me because we, with SL2, SL3, SL4 are launches of Saturn vehicles Skylab Roman numeral one Roman numeral two Roman numeral three are our Skylab missions yeah um and, and you know we talked about it a lot which way are we gonna go um we're gonna get that you know that's that's the style that we're gonna use and uh, and, and it didn't take off i I fought that <laughs> fight I mean it's been 15 years now since the book came out um you know for at least a dozen of those I, I'm actively on Twitter you know Roman numerling and and now you'll notice in this conversation, I'm just the first crew, the second crew, the third crew, because right? yeah. <laughs> i've I, I've been defeated. but so uh, yeah, wow. that uh, that first crew. I mean, I you know, we, we could talk about what the mission was, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the, what what the mission was quickly becomes pretty irrelevant. Here's our nominal operations. We're going to go up there, and this is the science that we're going to do, and these are the things that we're going to accomplish, and this is what day one looks like. and then all of a sudden, day one no longer looks like that the way i tell the story they had a meeting um a few weeks before the the launch of uh of the skylab space station at marshall where they said what do we do if something goes wrong on the outside of the workshop and uh and the answer was uh, nothing there, there's nothing that you can do if something goes wrong on the outside of the workshop wow but we we feel okay about that because. What could go wrong on the outside of the workshop? I mean, you know, this is the, we have no mitigation, but it's a low risk, um, you know, possibility. So, uh, you know, we, we we feel okay with this. You know, they they launch Skylab. Spoiler alert: <laughs> something goes wrong on the uh, on the outside of the workshop, right? During asset, the uh, the heat shield is is ripped off. One of the uh, the solar array wings is uh, is ripped off. Um, the other solar array, uh, away, solar array wing, <laughs> solar array wing, say that three times fast is uh, <laughs> is prevented from deploying by uh, a little strap of metal, and now that first mission has has completely changed. It's gone from uh, you know we're going to have a space station and these are the things that we're going to do on it to uh, to to can we save this thing? The uh, the, the the first crewed mission. Uh, the rocket was on the pad when the space station launched. The plan was they were going to launch the very next day. OK, guys, you're not you're not <laughs> launching tomorrow. <laughs> the way the orbital mechanics worked out, there were uh, there were launch opportunities every five days. We feel that the five days is is maybe a little bit ambitious, but we feel good about 10 days. That's one of those conversations that I would love to have more visibility into. Yeah, because, you know, if, if you have any experience in in, in this world, Ten days is insane. There is no version of that where oh we feel good about ten days. <laughs> Nothing happens. It takes ten days to schedule the meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, what did that conversation look like? How did that play out? But that's the decision. Ten days. We're gonna have the uh, we're gonna have the first crew ready to go. We're going to have figured out what went wrong. We're going to figure out how to mitigate it. We're going to produce the solutions for the uh, the problems that we're going to identify we're going to have the crew trained on how to implement them we're going to have them in the spacecraft and we're going to launch in 10 days ridiculous insane yes. and yet here we are so that quickly becomes the um the, the the mission for the first crew is is can we do this and Owen Garriott would say that uh, you know the the Apollo thirteen movie came out and it's it's you know people talk about Apollo thirteen as as NASA's finest moment and uh, Owen would say it was the finest moment for the astronaut corps. It was the finest moment for Johnson Space Center, NASA's finest moment was uh, was saving Skylab because yeah. it was it was a NASA story. It was not just NASA but uh, uh, America. There's a documentary saving Skylab that came out about this uh, this guy uh, Cliff Bosch who sells Lyman uh, power tools um, in Centralia, Missouri, who ends up saving Skylab and he's not an engineer. he's not a NASA person. he's not an astronaut, but you know it was it was everybody. it was it was an American story. It was a human story about how they saved that space station.
1: It's so overlooked as an achievement, isn't it? And the amount of time, that 10 days, you're right. You can't even fathom how they did that. and, And I... You never hear stories and and this many people were involved. Everyone knows that it was 400,000 people involved in the moon landings. Everyone knows that because we hear that stat all the time. We never hear how many people are involved in saving Skylab. What happened there? The, the, the people involved in that aren't household names. We don't see memes of Jack Black's mum uh, saving Apollo 13. Like... But, you don't see the equivalent for saving Skylab, do you? And yet it was such a big deal. It's such an incredible achievement.
2: To me, that moment may have been as important for human spaceflight as, as any other, in that I tell the story, I talk about the uh the spacesuits have the uh the little Vitruvian man patch, right? You see a a NASA astronaut in a NASA UVA suit, they've got the little patch, it's got the uh the space suited figure arms and, and legs spread wide and it's got it it has now five stars around it. The original version of that patch had three stars on it. The three stars celebrated the most important spacewalks in NASA history when the patch was made. Ed White making the first American spacewalk. It, it's it's the first. It's you know it's, it's a big deal. Ed White gets a star. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin taking the first footsteps on the moon. It's on a planetary surface i mean is it really even a spacewalk? but even so they get a start go figure um but then pete conrad and joe kerwin making the other uh, spacewalk to save skylab is the third star that at the time nasa considers that on on a par with the first american spacewalk with the first steps on the moon because we knew at that point spacewalks were hard i mean like if we had learned anything from uh from from the Gemini program uh, it, th- this is difficult. You've got to plan it out. You've got to choreograph it. you got to have a plan. You have to have everything just so. And and that was the approach through, uh, through Apollo. That was the approach going into Skylab is it's going to be this. It's going to be exactly like this. We're going to rehearse this exactly. This is how we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden, in those 10 days, that goes completely out the window. And NASA had to learn that, that we can do spacewalks in ways that, that they never thought was possible. And so you look at, you know, things like Hubble Space Telescope repairs. That wasn't the plan. It wasn't supposed to break, right? Mm. Um, you look at some of the uh, the spacewalks we've had to do on the uh, the International Space Station and some of those that are just, you know, incredibly ambitious that, you know, that in retrospect, that, wait, they, they did what? And yeah. all of that's built on that foundation of, of Skylab, you know, having to, NASA having to learn uh, just what is possible.
0: So, how many EVAs did it take to to fix Skylab?
2: Oh, gracious! Um, I wasn't ready for a pop quiz. I can I speak <laughs> anecdotally. I may be missing. Uh, <laughs> I may be missing some. But, um, but you know, the, 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 the standout moments. First off, you know they 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 launched the Skylab. They're approaching Skylab. They're they're still in the uh, the spacecraft. The problem is, like I said, there's there's no way to fix the outside of the workshop, and and the problem, the reason they said that was there's no access to it. There's there's uh, again, everything was planned, everything was choreographed. Um, there's there's translation aids, there's handholds to get from the airlock up to the uh, to the telescope to uh, to change the film out. There's no handholds, there's no aids to get you from the airlock to the outside of the workshop. So um, this is going to be a whole lot easier if we don't have to go from the airlock. To the outside of the workshop. Yeah, we're coming up. We're on a spacecraft. Spacecraft can go wherever it wants. Can we? uh, Can we do the EVA from from the Apollo command module? So they come up on Skylab. uh, They 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 depress open the hatch, depressurize the vessel, open the hatch. Um, You've got a uh, you know you've you've got a a guy hanging out of the uh, the doorway with the others holding on to him, trying to uh, (laughs) to clip that strap. And the answer is you can't do it. You can't get enough leverage. You can't get enough purchase to uh, to, to to cut it. So EVA-1 from the Apollo spacecraft does not work out. We're going to have to uh, figure out an alternate approach. So that's where you see then um, into the Skylab mission. They deploy the parasol, which they can do from inside the other uh, spacecraft. So that helps with the the heat condition. Um, since you know the, the shield was a heat shield you're losing your thermal protection the spacecraft's overheating mm-hmm. pulling the parasol helps with that still got to figure out that solar ar- array wing so now we're going to uh now we're going to do an eva we're going to do a spacewalk from the space station we're going to go out the uh the airlock they figure out how to get kind of to the edge of the workshop still can't go all the way down it they have uh uh, limb loppers, the lineman tools that I that I mentioned, that Cliff Bosch um, got them from from the AB Chance company. Um, long poles, little clippers, so that they can clip it from a distance. Figure out how to tether themselves just so, so that they've got leverage to uh, to to cut the strap. Succeed in doing that. The the solar array deploys. Now they've got power. Now they can finish the the uh, the, the first mission a little closer to, uh, to what was originally planned problem is the uh that parasol that's serving as the heat shield wonderful for getting them through the uh through the first mission after that it's kind of starting to degrade the uh, the, the temperatures are rising a little bit so the second crew now has to deploy a um a uh, a new heat shield and this one can't just be deployed through the airlock you can't do it from inside the uh the space station Got to go on a spacewalk. So, uh, so Jack Lausma, and Gary go outside for the uh, for the spacewalk to deploy the uh, the twin pole sunshade, put it into place. It's the uh, it then becomes the sunshade that lasts through the rest of the second mission, through the uh, through the third mission. So, those three are kind of the uh, the EVAs that tell the story of uh, of saving Skylab.
1: Let's talk about the crew for that first crew mission to Skylab. We'll call it that. Who were they and why were they picked for this mission? Obviously, their roles changed dramatically as that 10 days unfolded. But these guys, I mean, I know Pete had walked on the moon, but they hadn't done a a deep space EVA or any kind of EVA that required them leaving their spacecraft where there wasn't any gravity at all at that point, right?
2: Right, right. So Pete Pete Conrad, of course, was uh, was hungry for this mission. He uh, Pete wanted to, uh, to command the Skylab mission. He wanted to command the first Skylab mission. He uh, he volunteered. He and Alan Bean are coming back from Apollo twelve and on their way back to Earth. You know, oh, they're, they're, you know, walking on the moon was pretty good. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what should we do next? And uh, uh, you know, they're, they're they're looking at the rotation for what the crew assignments for the rest of Apollo looks like. Yeah, Pete's commanded a uh, moon landing mission. Um, he's good, you know. Alan Bean, I, from where he's sitting, you know, he sticks around. Maybe he could command a uh, a moon landing. On the flip side, he's you know he's, he's walked on the moon now, so yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this Skylab thing. So uh, so so Pete and 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 Al come back from uh, from Apollo twelve, move from the Apollo program over to the Skylab program. The excitement of doing this thing, this excite the excitement of uh, of being part of this, the excitement, like you say, of a very different sort of space mission that they experienced in Apollo. But for Pete, there's also this niggling thing in the back of his head. Uh, you know, Pete Conrad, he's he's selected in the uh, in the second group of astronauts at this point. He's uh, you know, he's he's already a legend. But um, but you know, he had applied back for that first class. He had applied to be one of the Mercury mm. Seven. And he came close, you know. He did a good job, but uh, but at the end of the process, the uh, you know the the, the the psychological review says um, that he's unfit, <laughs> specifically unfit for long duration spaceflight. <laughs> hey, Mercury wasn't long duration spaceflight, but uh, but you know, right. I mean, even so, he's rejected, and this is sitting in the back of his head. So here's his chance. <laughs> not just to go to the moon, not just to prove himself as an astronaut, but to prove himself for long duration <laughs> spaceflight—the first American to command a uh, a long duration spaceflight. So, uh, so Pete's going into this. He's uh, like I said, he's, he's he's motivated. The the funny thing was, Al Bean also this just uh, prater naturally motivated astronaut I mean any of them you know th- these are not these are not slouches you know you, you don't get to the astronaut core by being a slouch but being also I mean bettering himself was was a thing Thing. I mean, this was a guy that's that's reading self help books, that's uh, that's reading motivational books, that's just constantly looking for ways to uh, to to better himself, to accomplish more, to achieve more. And so, uh, you know, so these are the the two guys that you end up with commander as commanders of your uh, your first two Skylab missions. Pete, the, like I said, the the only one of the nine that uh, that I didn't get to meet, that I didn't get to talk to. There's a weird irony for me in that if Pete had been still around Homesteading Space probably wouldn't exist um or at least nothing like it 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 did cuz Pete desperately wanted the Skylab story to be told he wanted a book right. he wanted a movie he wanted a great history book to be written about Skylab. I forget who he was talking to—David McCullough or somebody. Couldn't get him, but that's you know that's who he's going after. Uh, there needs to be a movie, but it needs to be a blockbuster. You know, I mean, it needs to be—I don't know who he's looking at to, to star in it. Them, you know, Tom Hanks or something. I don't know. I, I guess not Tom Hanks after Apollo thirteen, but that level Skylab needs its Apollo thirteen movie. There was apparently a script written. it was apparently horrible, <laughs> according to Joe, they uh, they sexed the Skylab story up more than uh <laughs> than it needed to be. and I just I don't want to know what that looked like. <laughs> uh,
0: oh my God, my, I'm sorry, my face my face uh just can't d- deal with this right now. I'm like, they put sex in the like I don't even want to know what's going on. Okay, never mind.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm. I'm curious, but I also don't want to know.
0: Yeah, I'm so, exactly. I want to know, but at the same time, I'm like, Nah, I'm good. Like, who? Who's? Yeah, no, 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 no.
2: So, uh, yeah. So, so Pete, like I said, really wanted the story to be told, but he was very 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 jealous of it very protective of it so much so that as a result it never got told in his life because it it could not be told while pete was alive in a way that that pete was going to be happy with it so (laughs) if owen and joe um had come and said you know we found this guy (laughs) he's he's he's, he worked in weekly newspapers in mississippi he's been (laughs) as a contractor at marshall for a few months (laughs) I, i suspect that pete would have been like that's that's not what we're looking for so it's 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 for me personally the fact that the timing unfolded the way that it did is uh you know has had a big impact on me um you know and 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 joe co-authored the book so of the uh of the eight he and owen were the uh were the ones that i knew the best um joe you know he's he's a medical doctor he's a medical doctor who can fly jets and uh and so he's he's perfect For uh, for that first mission, because, you know, this is this is a grand experiment. I mean, we I've I've always said that Skylab, I think, is underappreciated because we've forgotten that we ever didn't know the things that Skylab taught us. I mean, Mm -hmm. today we have people, you know, we have somebody on the International Space Station right now that's going to be there for a year. You know, of course, that's a thing that you can do Um, a month. Like that's that's nothing. But then it was this this was a big deal. What's what's going to happen? And so, you know, the ability to uh, we're going to have a medical doctor. We're going to have a guy that can that can deal with anything that goes wrong while on, on the space station. That becomes a, a, a huge benefit. And, uh, you know, P.J., didn't know him as well but uh but you know i mean this is he's, he's a great um a great compliment to uh to the two of them you know this is somebody that can uh that can that can do what needs to be done that can uh that can execute the mission um you know a, a wonderful uh, for team player for that crew you know the three of them um, very close all of the uh, all of this i think that the three skylab crews may have been some of the uh you know the best friends after the mid during and after the mission of uh, of you know of any NASA crew ever, so uh, you know it's just a a, a great crew for that first flight.
0: All right. Had this team not had been able to fix the problems with Skylab after its launch, was there any kind of backup plan or anything? Yes, but
2: um, you know, so there is a there is a second Skylab. It, it today oh, cool. is in the National Air and Space Museum. Um, uh, Owen would say, the uh, the second best place it, it could have been. <laughs> it's it's flight worthy. it's flight ready. had had the first Skylab not worked out, yeah, there there was a, a second space station ready to be launched. The, the The challenge there becomes, okay, well, why did the first one fail? Can we reasonably fix it? Is it worth the uh, the expense of of fixing it? So there there was a backup plan. Would it have been implemented? I hope so. But, you know, I mean, then you start dealing with, with, you know, the realities of a world where, uh, where Congress is saying, you know, okay, so, so how much money did you just lose um, with the, uh, with the one that Mm. didn't work? And Mm. how much money are you wanting now? And aren't we working on the space shuttle? And why are we spending all this money on a, uh, on a broken space station when, uh, when we've got a space shuttle that's already running late? And so you could get jerry brennan to write you know any number of alternate history books of uh <laughs> of what happens if uh, if the first skylab fails you know here's the book where they launch skylab b and uh, and everything plays out and here's the book where uh where skylab gets canceled and maybe the space shuttle happens a little bit sooner and uh and you know it, and it hard to, hard to say in retrospect
0: in the process of writing Homesteading Space, was there one thing that jumped out at you about this mission, Skylab 2, which really surprised you?
2: So, you know, that that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I had done, you know, research before going into the book, kind of had some familiarity with it. But the thing that maybe I didn't fully appreciate and the thing that, that came out of the book, and, you know, I mean, the thing about the book is generally, you know, you see a, uh, you see a, you know, a book and there's names on the front of the book and some of the names on the front of the book are astronauts. And some of the names on the, the front of the book are writers. And what that means is the writer wrote the book and the astronauts lived the book, right? That is not the case with, with homesteading. Um, Owen and and Joe um, were authors of that book. Joe held the pen, wrote, um, you know, everything in, in, the, the the chapter about the first crew, other parts of the book, um, where Joe, not only did the two astronauts listed on the book write the book, poor old Ed Gibson ended up writing <laughs> writing a chunk of that book and uh, and and didn't get author credit. So uh, oh. I'm, I'm quick now to point out that uh, that, <laughs> poor that Ed is is you know the the unofficial fourth beetle of uh, of homesteading space. <laughs>
0: that square jawed miscreant, yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, we, we did the chapter about the uh the first crew. Joe wrote a lot of that. Owen wrote the uh you know, Owen and I wrote the uh the second crew mission. We put together a draft of of a third crew chapter because uh, you know, we, we don't have anybody on the third crew. We sent it to them. Hey, look, could you all help us with this? We'd love your perspective, you know, we'd love your insight. They look at the draft and they're oh, no no that's no, no, pretty good. It could be better. You know, I mean, we're like, help us help you. But not that was good. So then they see the book. And they see the first cruise chapter, and they see the second cruise chapter, and they see the third cruise chapter, and uh, and Ed's like, you know, we thought it was good, but then we realized we're driving a Volkswagen, and y'all are pulling up in the Ferraris, and uh, we need to fix this. So so poor old Ed, you know, hey, g- give me that, and uh, and you know, and, and, and beefs it up some, and the science chapter contributed. I mean, nobody knows um, uh, heliospheric science like uh, like Ed Gibson, um, so he helped us out a lot with uh, with that. But uh, sorry, tangent to your to your question. The takeaway, I mean, and that's the thing that I hope anybody gets from uh, from homesteading space is I knew Skylab as as a history, as a series of events, as as you know, a, a programmatic. This is what happened. But you know, it's it's that okay. What's it like? You know, how many people know what it's like to uh, to live in a broken space station? To mm-hmm. be up there, you know, overheating, and are you going to be able to fix it? And and are you going to be able to accomplish this? I could have told you what happened, but just that, that human, um, you know, Joe's poem, there's a, there's a poem in homesteading space that Joe Kerwin wrote. And, you know, that's awesome. That's just, it's such a, uh, a, a human touch and such a snapshot of, you know, yeah, we know that they were up there doing EVAs and, and cutting straps to deploy solar array rings. You know, who knows that they're up there writing poems to their wife while they're in space.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: So, other than, you know, all the salacious stories that made it into the movie script, the the sexy stories, are there, no, seriously, are there any stories that didn't make it into the book that you can now reveal?
2: Well, so, I mean, (laughs) so there's, 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 there's there's two versions of this answer. There's the, there's the, um. Uh, You know, forgotten heroes who are underappreciated version and there's the how do you go to the bathroom in space version and uh, which which do you want the uh, the one I mean, because here's the thing you write a book and you live with the book, it it came out 15 years ago, and you know, and I'll, I'll pick it up occasionally and I'll flip through it and. It is what it is. We're not, you know, we're not rewriting it. Um, the first, the first chapter in particular is just so cringe to me because it was my first, my first moments writing a book, and so like I feel like I have to be writing a book, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm using the word bailiwick multiple times because I'm writing a book now, and it's just like, oh gosh, young David, get over yourself. But that also means that yeah, time goes by and you hear stories, and uh, oh man, I wish I had known that you know twenty years ago. We take for granted that even with the solar array wings skylab worked right because skylab was was set up with uh with with multiple electric power generation systems there were the the two big array wings on uh, on the side of the workshop one of them you know gets uh, ripped off the other one they do the eva to deploy but even before it's deployed Skylab still has electrical power because the, uh, you know, the windmill at the the top is also um, solar panels. So there's power coming from the telescope. Skylab originally, you know, it's going to be designed as a wet workshop. It's going to be launched on multiple Saturn 1s. It's going to be launched in pieces. It's going to be more like the way that we flew the International Space Station, where we're going to do multiple launches, assemble it all in space. Um, At one point, the telescope is going to be its completely separate thing, just literally tied to the space station, tethered to the space station, just floating out there in space. And uh, and because of that, the telescope is originally designed as a completely self-contained spacecraft. And that's why it has its own electrical power system, even though it's going to be part of the space station. The space station's got these big Solar array wings in uh, early on in development. It needs its own power generation um, because it's not going to have that. So they designed the solar power system for uh, the electrical system for the for the telescope. They designed the electrical system for the uh, for the workshop. And somewhere along the way, there's a guy and he says, "Hey, what if we run a wire from the telescope to the space station?" Because this hadn't been part of the plan. There's a reason that they're being developed independently. Um, there's a reason why there's an independent need for these two separate things. That's the mindset: is this is this and this is this. And there was a meeting where somebody says, "What if we uh, we ran a wire from one system to the other?" Um, a gentleman by the name of uh, of Charles Davis. He lives still lives here in Huntsville. And if he had never spoken up, there's no skylab. Yeah. There's a telescope that works, but there's a workshop that's dead and uh, and And, at that point, it's unusable by the time the the, the crew can get there. And so just a hundred percent, this one person in a meeting, raising his hand and saying, "Hey, what if that uh, that saved Skylab?" And, like we talked about earlier, nobody knows his name. You know, it, completely forgotten. But you know, in terms of impact on American human spaceflight, he's he's pretty high up there.
1: Yeah, the importance of uh, of holding your hand up, right? That's a lesson every school child needs to learn, right? Amen to that. Um, so I've been trying to wrap my brains over who was who would play Pete Conrad in this movie. Uh, I've gone with John Malkovich. <laughs> I, I think uh, he could probably pull off the the humor of Pete as well as the, the the getting the job done side of Pete. I could see that. I could see that. M- moving on, you recently told some stories about Skylab at an improv comedy night where a troupe of improv comedians performed skits about your stories. I also noticed recently that you asked ChatGPT, the AI generator thingamajig, to write some jokes about Skylab and you posted the results on Twitter. Shock horror, they weren't that funny. But uh, (laughs) do you think that Skylab offers good material for comedians? Uh, Were there any particularly funny events on Skylab 2? Oh, gosh. Um... Or one. The first crewed mission. All right, we'll get there. (laughs)
2: So uh, yeah 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 the, uh, the, the the event this weekend that was uh that was sort of surreal there's a uh, there's a troupe here in town they have people come in storytellers in town come in and uh, and tell stories and then they do scenes um, you know not literally acting out what the story that was just told but kind of inspired by um, one of my favorites I was talking about the uh, the student experiments talking about the the spiders that they flew on the uh, the second mission. Um, Anita and Arabella and kind of talking about how, you know, we, we didn't know. We had no clue, you know, can spiders spin webs in outside of gravity? Because there's never been a spider outside of gravity before. There's no way to find this out without flying it. And uh, and so <laughs> they did a scene where there's a student who says, well, what happens when a cobra bites and kills an astronaut <laughs> in <laughs> space? And like the scientists are, well, you know, we've never studied that before. Like we <laughs> we need some data on this and uh so it was just it was great watching what they uh they came up with and uh i i i posted about this on my facebook and, uh, and a friend of mine comments you're living the dream and it's like am i i mean like was, was that a dream hey you know what i want to do is a comedy show but it's skylab like that's that's not the dream it was great but uh but not something that I, that i realized i needed <laughs> and this is, this is horribly unfair and maybe because they were, uh, they were busy. Um, but, uh, but uh, I, I, more material from, um, from the second and, and, and third crews. But yeah, it, it kind of surprised me telling the stories and I'm coming in with, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you about Skylab, but telling the stories that there's, there's some funny stuff in this. Um, and of course, you know, telling the story, the famous story about um, Owen Gary, the, the prank that he played on mission control, making him think that his, uh, that his then wife Helen um, was on Skylab with him. You know, the, the mission control is listening to a broadcast from Skylab where uh, where <laughs> Owen's wife is like is talking about the weather down on Earth. Like, there's no way that she knows this, and yet <laughs> here she is. And I mean, the folks in mission control for decades uh, never knew how he did that. You we know, talked about, you know, the uh the, the the second mission getting extended. It's originally supposed to be 56 days. It gets extended to uh 59 and a half. Great, you know, excited about that. But what that means is, you know, the the, the underwear that you're wearing on uh on, on day 56 is the underwear that you're gonna be wearing at the end of day 59 and a half. And uh, well, there's there's more underwear on this space station, right? There's a whole nother crew that's uh that's that's gonna be coming. Could we have a change of underwear? I mean, like, you know, rather than us wearing this for an extra four days, like, they could wear a pair for an extra day, you know, and uh, and it evens out. Houston requesting permission to change <laughs> underwear. And, uh, and Mission Control radios back up and says, uh, we got good news for you. Um, uh, we're approving a change of underwear. Owen, you change with Al. Al, you change
1: with Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, you change
2: with Owen. <laughs> And uh, so, uh, yeah. So there were some great little moments there. The, uh, there is a book that was written by the uh, the former editor of the Huntsville Times um, here in Huntsville, my old boss, guy by the name of Bob Ward, who was uh, who was one of the, uh, the the legends of Apollo era journalism. Um, you know, telling the story from uh, from from Marshall Space Flight Center perspective. Um, but he wrote a couple of books. Um, a funny thing happened on the way to the moon. That's just little anecdotes like that. Um, leading up to and and through Apollo, um, but then he wrote a sequel called The Light Stuff. Um, <laughs> it's you know, long out of print, but it's surprisingly easy to find um, used copies of this book. And uh, you know, it, it's it's the three bucks that it cost is, is a great investment because there's some uh, some hilarious stories, and in they are including through
0: Skylab and uh, and into shuttle. I, I messaged Dave and I said if you if you just isolate a. The EVA where they had to fix the stuck solar panel, if you just isolate Kerwin, then that's an entire comedy show unto itself. Because he just, he has a, I, this is a family show, some of his bitchings on it are just the greatest. Like, it's so funny, oh my god. Anyway, obviously we've got nearly a full year of Skylab 50th anniversary, you know, events coming up. So, what do you think is the legacy of Skylab?
2: It's so exciting. Uh, you know, we we all do uh, you know Skylab talks and, and articles here and there, but just the the demand this year um, is is so exciting. So, um, you know, buckle up, folks, because <laughs> you're, you're going to hear <laughs> you're going to hear Emily and I say the the S word more than once. <laughs> I look forward to um, you know the, the Jack Lausman is going to be part of the Cosmosphere event. Um, the plan is for uh, for Joe and uh, Jack and Ed to be at an event here in Huntsville um, later this year for a, a panel that I'm going to be MCing, and so oh, uh, nice. getting to uh, getting to not only answer that question but getting to ask you know them. Okay, half a century later, you know, what's the legacy? What have we learned? And 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 the, the, the you know the question that I want to ask them is, what did we not learn? Like, what are the things <laughs> that you're looking at modern spaceflight saying? You know, you idiot. <laughs> we we taught you, because um, uh, you know because that's that's the uh, like I said you, you you forget the lessons and you take them for granted. But Skylab is the foundation for everything that happened since. In that, you know, I, I tell the story. You go to an airport and somebody says, "Where are you going?" You know, and you say, "I'm going to Wichita," right? Um, and you never say the sky right you're about to go out of the airport you're going to get on this giant metal bird it's going to take you into the sky it's going to land in wichita but we say wichita as if that's somehow more impressive more exciting more interesting than a giant metal bird is going to carry me into the heavens themselves is <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the destination not the uh, not the journey and until skylab that was space where are we going we're not going to space we choose to go to the moon right Uh, We're going to the moon. It's all about going to the moon. We're going through space to get to the moon, like you go through the air to get to Wichita. But but where you're going is the moon. And so Skylab is the first time that can we live in this environment, you know, long durations. Um, What happens to the human body? What happens to a... (laughs) What happens to Pete Conrad's mental well-being? You know, <laughs> we, we need this long duration spaceflight data to, to find those things out. Can you do meaningful work? Is it worth, even if you can go, is it is it worth going? Like I talked about, the spacewalks. I mean, we don't have Hubble without Skylab. We don't have the International Space Station without Skylab. You, you can live there. You can work there. You can fix things. You know, I mean, the the, the entire space station broke. You know, on its way to orbit, like not just, you know, today you see stories, that you know, the toilet on the International Space Station broke um, or the this on the that broke um, like the entire space station on the space station <laughs> broke. Like that's what's broken is the space station. Um, and, and they fixed it yeah. and it worked and it did what it was there to do. And it did more than it was there to do. And the crews accomplished more than they were there to achieve. Um, And again, you don't you don't have anything without that. I mean, if we didn't know that you could fix a space station, we wouldn't have the International Space Station because it is. It's incredibly ambitious. It's 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 an incredibly uh, complex piece of machinery. And because of that, it it can be fickle sometimes. It can be a little bit delicate sometimes. And we knew that we could launch a a, a space station that is going to be a little complex and a little fickle sometimes because we knew that we can uh, that we can fix a space station. And you start talking about going to Mars. Oh gosh, you know, I mean, the toilet on the space station breaks. Like we can launch a new toilet to the space station. We can launch new parts to the space station. We can, we can fix that. You're on your way to Mars and you're on what, you know, an 800 to to 1200 day journey. And uh, you know, and and you leave earth and, and you're not getting more spare parts. You're not getting repair tools. And so if you're on your way to Mars and you know, on day 17, your your toilet breaks, it's going to be a long eleven hundred and eighty three days, you know. And so when you start talking about Artemis and when you start talking about Moon to Mars, you know, without the things that Skylab taught us, um, you, you just you, you don't have that.
1: Absolutely. I was just thinking as you were saying all that, that if uh, Pete Conrad was still around, he would own the domain name wefixanything.com. I think that would uh, that would be Pete Conrad's website. Uh, but David, thank you so much for joining us today and talking a bit more about Skylab and, and your book and uh, just, just telling us more about this. It just doesn't get... I really hope this year it gets a lot of attention and people actually... Yes. People who don't already know Skylab actually listen and go i need to know more about this i need to look this up someone may listen and go i need to make that movie the good version the good version because i think that's it, it's such an important program and and for me getting to know emily more over the last three years and, and learning more about it almost by osmosis uh, has really <laughs> has really been eye-opening to me and in, in figuring out why it's so important and uh, and hopefully the podcasts like this and and events like you've got coming up will do so much to to get in the word out and, and making people appreciate skylab so that when they're visiting huntsville or the or the air and space museum or, or space center houston and you've got those skylab mock-ups and the, and the skylab b uh, people can appreciate them and and be like wow this was the real deal this is this was it this is how we started this uh where we are now and uh that's, that's my hopes anyway, but thank you very much for joining us.
2: Yes, thank you. Thank you for having
1: me. And we hope to have you again sometime.
2: I look forward to it.
1: Excellent.
0: Well, Dr. Curran, why were you the only crew member who didn't swear when the first docking attempt failed?
1: I was too stupid to realize the serious implications of our company. Okay, I really enjoyed David there. He's such a good storyteller, and I like how he Puts things and how he makes you realize what's going on the whole spiel he gave about this mission and the saving of the of the space station the saving of Skylab as being nasa's finest moment was really quite inspiring uh i'd never thought of it like that before but when you look at the facts it probably is true
0: yeah absolutely for the first time they were having to to fix things i mean Not to diminish what happened on Apollo 13 in the effort to bring the crew home, but on Apollo 13, they really didn't have the capability to go out and look at what was wrong or try to fix what was wrong. Unfortunately, it'd been kind of cool if they if they did. And um, for Skylab, you know, for the first time, they really had to go out and fix it. You know, they had to go out and fix things, uh, do maintenance aboard the space station for the first time. You know, it was really a you know that that was a really big deal and it has direct uh, has a direct impact now on what we do on the uh, international space station because they have to fix it it's it's a 20 odd year old over 20 year old platform in space some of the parts are 25 which is unbelievable and they have to fix things and they have to add things you know take things out et cetera et cetera and skylab was the first to really demonstrate okay we have the capability where we can do such a thing on orbit uninterrupted. You know, we don't have to interrupt a mission to do this. We can just say, okay, we're gonna do an EVA or something like that, you know, to try to fix this. So it really set the template for many future missions, including the Hubble rescue mission that happened God in I think in nineteen ninety three where they had to go up and basically give Hubble a pair of eyeglasses. You know, yeah. or contact lenses, I should say. It really set the precedent for a lot of things, so yeah, absolutely. I love how David tells this story. Homesteading Space, if you don't have it already, we did do a giveaway where we gave away a copy of this amazing book. If you don't have Homesteading Space, just just order it now. Just get it. It really is the finest narrative book, I think, on Skylab. There are other good Skylab books out there, but in my opinion, this is the finest that is like a narrative version of the story you know it tells the story of what unfolded you just got to go get it it's, it's an amazing book if you read it you'll have a very good background on what happened on the missions you'll be near expert level seriously that's how good this book is
1: it's it's just just go get it please yeah, absolutely so please go and do that and as always if you want to hear that Full unedited interview and watch it uh with David, you can check out our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash space and things. Okay, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. As we mentioned earlier, I'm currently away, so there's no what caught my eye in space this week section. But we'll be back with that in a few weeks. Hopefully you'll enjoy the other episodes we've pre-recorded for the next two weeks. And thanks to those of and thanks to those who have joined us over on Patreon. It's very much appreciated.
0: More from us next week, but until then, don't forget, in space no one can hear you mean. You've been listening to the Space and Things podcast.